Well, good evening. It's, uh, it's a pleasure, privilege to be able to uh, stand before you tonight. And I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be reading the first 11 verses. It's great to be able to choose the songs and then choose what you want to preach. And so the hand, two of them can go hand in hand. You've already pretty much sung all about what will be preached on tonight. And I hope that your heart's prepared. You're ready to hear from the Lord. This, uh, this passage of Scripture jumped out at me uh, a couple months ago. I was on my way with our teenagers uh, to Indiana. And uh, you know that uh, the drive from here to Indiana is a long one. About uh, 14, uh, 16 hours, somewhere around there. And uh, it was a long trek. And uh, let, me, let me give you a little tip. If you are a parent of a teenager, uh, just sit there. And if your teenager is being annoying, uh, focus on the Lord. Listen to him. And when your teenager is annoying you or trying to get your attention, just say, Hey, I'm talking to the Lord. And it will silence them. I promise. It's like the ultimate trump card. Uh, so yeah, it was, that was kind of my trick heading that, uh, that direction. Just kind of the Lord uh, was speaking to me, laid this passage of Scripture on my heart, and, uh, and then we get to the conference and just this burden came across. But then we go to Summit, and we're sitting there in Summit, and all of a sudden one of the preachers gets up and starts pre- preaching out of Luke 5. My heart sinks, and I got real mad, a little bit bitter at the preacher, and I thought, I'm going to stand up here uh, last week of August, and all the people that went to Summit just think I'm going to steal his notes. And uh, so that was, that was pretty rough. But then it got real serious. Last Sunday, Pastor gets up here, and he starts preaching out of Luke 5. Took just one point, whole time in the back. I'm just praying, Lord, help him just move on. Help him move on. All right? So uh, it's, it's been a fight to get up here. Now I'm up here. All right, and uh, now I get this opportunity. I want to thank Pastor and uh, the rest of White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, it is a privilege to be part of this church. It truly is. Um, there are very few churches like this church, uh, especially in the Northeast. And I believe we have a church that has a heart for the Lord, which is our theme. But it's a church that cares sincerely about accomplishing God's work and about uh, helping people. And a lot of people get up and have their own agenda and have their own way of doing things. And, um, and sometimes it's just, get out of my way, I know what I'm doing. But it has been such a joy to be able to serve here along Pastor and, uh, and accomplish and do the work of the ministry here. Northeast needs the Lord. And uh, it, is, it is that call that has been on my wife's heart and my heart that's why we came all the way from Texas up here, because we had such a, a hard burden to see the Northeast come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so tonight, uh, as we look at this, if you would stand, having that all said, we'll look at verse number 1, Luke chapter 5, verse number 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, He stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this evening. We do thank you for this message, and Lord, how it has convicted me. Father, tonight I pray that your spirit will rest upon me. Give me the right words to say. I pray that um, tonight, Lord, we will not just be hearers of your word, but in hearing the truths from this passage of Scripture, may it empower us to be doers of your word. And Lord, bless tonight. We ask your name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. God desires to do a work through us. But before He can do a work through us, and many times He must do the work in us. God desires to evangelize the entire world with the Gospel. We find in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires to see the whole world come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. But how does He accomplish this great task? He could choose many, many means. He could paint the Gospel in the sky. He could have a voice come down from heaven like when Jesus was uh, coming out after His baptism. God could do many mighty things. He is all-powerful. But instead of doing all of these mighty works, He chooses to use us. Now, maybe you're like me, and oftentimes you scratch your head and you say, God, why do you choose, out of all of the different things you could possibly do to evangelize the world, you choose me? And I believe ultimately it's so that we can understand that God's ability to reach the world is far superior than our ability to reach the world. God's ability, uh, we see His omnipresence in Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. We see His omnipresence, but we also see His uh, uh, omnipotence in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in 
earth. God is a powerful God. He sees all these things. He has uh, the ability to do anything and everything. But God's plan to evangelize the world involves us being fully obedient and surrendered to Him. If God did everything for us, all we would need to do is just sit back. And our world struggles because there are many who do that very thing. They sit back and they have that mindset that, well, God will do the work. God will do the work. God will do the work. But God did not create us to be individuals that just sit back. He created us to be individuals that do work. You remember Adam when he was in the garden, the perfect environment. There was no sin anywhere in in the entire world. But God had him doing work. He was number, or he was naming the animals. He was uh, doing uh, work in the ground, and he enjoyed it. Many times I speak to young people who struggle with depression and struggle with uh, various uh, different uh, emotional issues. And a lot of times, not in every instance, but a lot of times, they struggle with these emotional issues because of a lack of participation. A lack of relying on God to use them to accomplish His perfect will in their life. And all of us tonight need to understand that we are not bystanders watching God do the work, but we ought to be participants in the midst of God's work. But, let, but make no mistake, we will not be able to accomplish anything apart from His working in our life. A lot of times we can get confident in our speaking, in our training, in our Bible knowledge. And you know what? We'll knock on a door, we'll talk to somebody about the Lord, and we'll fall flat on our face. Because our dependence is upon ourselves, not upon the Lord. And so this evening, we see this, these three truths are illustrated in this passage. As we look at Luke chapter 5, we find Jesus is beginning to establish His earthly ministry. This is the first mention of Peter, or what uh, you read there. Simon meeting uh, uh, meeting uh, him and uh, Jesus calling him out. Now, I don't believe that this is the uh, first time that Jesus and Peter meet. I personally believe this is the second time that they meet. If you would turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, the next Gospel over, if uh, you were to take the time and go through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that uh, this passage of, of Luke 5, where they are ta- uh, drawing these fish, and uh, Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew to follow Him, you'll find they're recorded in all four of the Gospels. But none as descriptive as the book of Luke. But if we were to take the timeline, we were to take the facts and put them together, you have this perspective of Matthew, this perspective of Mark, this perspective of Luke, and this perspective of John, and you were to study them all together, I believe that you would find that the very first meeting of Jesus and Peter comes at chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse number 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looked upon Jesus as he walked, He saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. 
Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto him, What see ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, uh, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He finish, uh, he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that's been prophesied time and time again, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And we find tonight that I believe Jesus, of course, he's just coming off of establishing his ministry. He has uh, been with John the Baptist. We record that, uh, that he was baptized and he stood up and he has these two disciples, one of them being Andrew, and uh, they follow Jesus after that. They, they were following John the Baptist, now they're following Jesus. And Andrew is so passionate. Andrew is so uh, uh, just in, in awe over the fact that John has been the forerunner of the Messiah, and now the Messiah has come along. And Andrew sees that and says, I am so excited about this, I need to go, and I need to be, tell my brother about this. And the very first thing he does, and he goes and finds Peter, Peter uh, comes to Jesus, and uh, we believe that this is a true story, right? So imagine, you are Peter. Your brother is passionate that you have found the Messiah. Peter walks up to Jesus, and as soon as he walks up, he says, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted as stone. That is the conversation. We don't find anything else about the dialogue between uh, Peter and, and Jesus apart from that. I'm going to call you a stone. And then they're on their way. Wow, what an entrance. What a, what a first, uh, first um, uh, impression. This is the Messiah, and He's now calling me a stone. And I love that that is how it begins, because we will find much later as Jesus works in Peter's life, that God will turn him to realize that he is but a small stone. And Jesus is the rock of our foundation. And then it is upon that rock that Jesus will build the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But I believe shortly after this, if you read the other Gospels, we'll find that Peter did not follow Jesus after that. Now, he may have been uh, converted. He may have truly believed, like Andrew did, that Jesus was the Messiah. But nonetheless... Peter was not following Jesus full-time up to that point. Peter, after uh, that, that first impression with Jesus, I believe he turns and goes back to his job. Jesus preaches. Jesus uh, performs his first miracle. The miracle at, at Canaan, you know, turning the water into wine. 
And it is that very first miracle uh, that Jesus performs. And then He is now establishing His earthly ministry. And later we find what I believe is now Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is coming along again. Let's go back there and we'll spend the remainder of our time in Luke chapter 5 as uh, what we've just heard as a springboard, as an introduction to what's going on. Jesus is making His way. And go to, go to chapter 4, verse number 43. And He said unto him, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Verse number 44, And He preached in the synagogues, of Galilee. And then we pick it up in verse number 5, and it came to pass the people were pressed upon him to hear his word. Tonight, as we, as, as we look at this passage of scripture, I want us to see three elements that Jesus brings when he steps into our life. Three elements Jesus brings when he steps into our life. The first one I want us to see tonight is Jesus brings curiosity. Look at verse number 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. This multitude came to hear Jesus. Now other passages of scripture record that there was a multitude that was following him for other purposes. Uh, perhaps to, to be fed. Right? You have the feeding of the 5,000. And the people were there because they thought Jesus was going to feed them. They thought He was going to bring them uh, their physical needs, meet their physical needs. Others were following Him because of His miracles and His mighty works. That's not what we find in this passage of Scripture. We We record the motive to why these people were coming to Jesus in this specific scenario. It says, they pressed upon Him to hear the word of God. They knew there was something special about this individual. They knew this wasn't like the other teachers of yesteryear. He was not just a mere prophet. We want to hear the Word of God. Have you ever thought that the world around us does not desire to hear about Jesus? I've been there. You wake up on Saturday and you come out to church for Great Commission Saturday or just regular soul winning and you kind of think, well, I'm about to knock on this door, and I don't, think, I don't think anybody wants to hear this. And maybe there are, I believe there are, a number of folks that are tired of us knocking on their door. Tired of this Jesus quote. Tired of hearing that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and they're sick of it. But I still believe tonight that there are souls in Stratford, in Bridgeport, in Milford, in Derby, in Ansonia, and in the othermost parts of the world that right now are waiting for somebody to come and help them hear the Word of God. Do you believe that tonight, church? Do you believe we've hit a point where there is absolutely nobody in the world that wants to hear about Jesus? I don't believe it. If that were the case, God would call us out of here because there would be no purpose. But God still has folks that He's working on, that His Spirit is softening their hearts, and they are living in fear tonight, and they're saying, hey, 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 what's going to happen to me after I pass from this earth? And they're living in fear, they're living in torments. Some of you were in that very same situation until somebody came with a brochure to your house. Or some family member had such a burden in their heart 
to reach you. And they've been praying for decades, hoping and desiring for you to come. And finally, the Holy Spirit softened your heart enough to where you came to church and you surrendered to the preaching of God's Word and you said, I am in need of a Savior. There are still folks today that are crippled and living in fear because they have not heard. Can I remind us tonight, our world doesn't want to hear us. But our world does want to hear Jesus. They do want to hear His Word. It is God's Word that has the power. It's God's Word that will prick their heart and will be like a sword, piercing as Hebrews chapter 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But as we look at this passage, Jesus is just one voice. There is nobody else that is preaching truth at that moment. Jesus is all by Himself. And so Jesus then sees an opportunity. Which brings us to our second point where Jesus brings challenges. Jesus brings challenges. Not only brings curiosity to where our world wants to hear about Him, wants to hear His teaching. But when uh, the, the, the crowd is pressed up against Him, Jesus brings challenges. Let's look at verse number 2. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. They were washing their nets. And He went into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed Him that He would thrust out a little from the land. And He sat down and taught the people out of the ships. When Jesus steps into our life, there will be a time of discomfort that tests our reliance upon Him. Can I remind us tonight, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Pastor Andrew, where do you find this in the passage of Scripture? Well, we know that these ships that were there were Peter's ships. At least one of them was. And Jesus, prior to this passage, is preaching in the synagogues. But then Jesus travels on a weekday. Jesus comes by and says, Hey, it's Wednesday. It's time for a Bible study. And Jesus begins to teach the people. And Jesus looks about and He sees that here He's just one voice. And He steps into the ships and He asks Peter, Please, I know you're tired. I know you've toiled all day. I know you're a hard worker. You just want to go home, be with your family. But I'm going to ask you, please, just go out a little. And I don't know where you're at in your Christian life today, in your level of maturity. But God will push you to your next step. And He'll start with just a little. And He'll wait to see if you are obedient to Him. Sure, There may be some growing pains in your Christian life. There may be some times where God stretches you and and it feels inconvenient. I have worked all day. I'm tired. Uh, I have financial problems. I I need to be with my family. and uh, I just want to have time where I just decompress. But sometimes there are, there are uh, moments where God says, no, I, I know, I know what you're going through, but hey, I want you to get into the preaching of God's Word. Hey, I think this is going to help you. Hey, I, I want to mold you. I want to shape you. I want to see if you're going to be obedient. I have an opportunity for you. I'm going to grow you. I have an image. It's the image of my Son that I'm going to conform you to, but you need to be obedient. 
And so God will bring challenges. Jesus sees several problems and challenges and calls the believer to meet the need of the problem. And it is sometimes inconvenient. Tonight I want us to see three problems within these challenges that, uh, that Jesus was facing. We see first the problem of the hearers. As I read in verse number 2, Jesus is but one voice among so many. Many Bible scholars believe that the reason Jesus got into the boats and was launched out just a little bit was to create a natural voice amplification off of the water. The people are pressed around Him and He wants some organization. He wants to make sure everybody can hear Him. But He's but one voice. So He gets in the boat. Peter, please let me out just a little bit. Just a little bit. So that I can teach the people and they all can hear me. And He uses Peter in this opportunity. Our world is dying and going to hell over lack of preachers today. We have, uh, but uh, we think of the 1040 window and how many preachers there are and how many uh, people are in this uh, little area of the 1040 window. 90%, uh, or rather two-thirds of our world's population, 4 billion people live within the 1040 window. 95% of these, that's 4 billion people, are unevangelized. The problem is not with the hearer themselves. The problem is that they cannot hear. There's nobody to tell them. Romans 10.14, How shall they call upon uh, Him in whom they have not uh, believed? And how shall they believe in Him in, uh, in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? When I was in college um, several years ago, there was a, a, a man I went to college with, and he had graduated, and, and then he came back and was going to be a missionary over in Africa, and, and, uh, and, and did a survey trip, and, and came back for the missions conference. And I'll never forget the story he told while he was over there. He'd been walking down the street, had heard that a well-beloved family member had recently passed away, and the people of the village pointed him in the direction of the hurting family. And as he approaches, a man comes out with tears staining his cheeks, crying and weeping, and, and goes and sits on his front porch and, and, and just buries his head in his hand. And this man, his name was Caleb Cavanis, he goes and he puts his arm around this individual and says, I'm so sorry. For your loss. But Jesus loves you. And the man looked up with t tears in his eyes, looks over at Brother Cavanagh and says, Nanu Jesus, which is to be interpreted, Who is Jesus? And that pierced my heart. That our world will use Jesus' name in vain. The church will say Jesus' name a hundred times in a service. But there are people on the other side of the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. It's the problem of the hearers. There's nobody going. There's nobody telling. There is but few voices calling out. Not only the problem of the hearer, but the problem of the unbelief. Peter thought 
that full commitment to God wouldn't be worth the effort. We find in verse number 2, and he entered uh, into one of the ships, which was Simon's and, and, uh, and Peter, uh, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Verse number 4. Now when he had uh, left speaking, he's done preaching, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered, said unto him, Answering, he said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, I want to be very clear with the grammar that is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 4 at Jesus' command. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Singular, plural. Plural. What does verse number 5 says? Master, we toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Is Peter being obedient or disobedient? Jesus says, I'm going to make it worth your while. Hey, listen to me. Let down your nets. For a draft. Peter says, okay, I will let down the net. Peter didn't believe what Jesus was asking was really worth his time. He didn't believe Jesus truly was who he said he was. Not only do we find the problem of unbelief, we find the problem of disobedience. The problem was not that God uh, pr- provided too much. The problem was that Peter prepared too little. Look at what it says in verse number 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes that their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they be- began to sink. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. And many times you and I, sure, we're not in a boat. God's not calling us to literally put on our nets. But God will speak to us and say, I want you to be fully committed to Great Commission Saturdays. And we say, okay, I will come one day. Pastor wants me to come 12, but I don't know that it's worth my time. I don't know that I'm going to get this draft of fishes. I have toiled, I have worked, I have tried my best to see as many people come to know Christ, but I'll give my just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. When God says, I don't want just a little more, I want your all. We sing this song to our children. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Let's spell it. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E Obedience is the very best way to show that you 
believe. And this is what happens when we are disobedient to God. We bring difficulties into our own life. Again, I bring you back to what I said just a moment ago. The problem was not that God provided too much fish. The problem was that Peter prepared too little. And, and I wonder today how many times did God want to pour out a blessing on White Oak Baptist Church, but we weren't prepared to take all that in. He wanted to see a mighty work done, but he couldn't do it because of their unbelief. Do you truly believe that God is who He says He is? And, and do you believe tonight that you could meet the need of these problems? The problem of the hearer, the problem of the unbelief, the problem of the disobedient. So as a result, Jesus not only brings curiosity, not only brings challenges into our life, but finally we see Jesus brings change. Somebody got rich in earthly goods that day. But it wasn't Peter. Let's look at what the Bible says as we continue uh, through here. Verse number 9. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. Peter had financial needs like anybody else. Peter had family needs like everyone else. We don't know what was going on in Peter's mind prior to this. Probably a lot of frustration. He's worked hard. Day in, day out. And fish, the amount of fish he catches, equals the amount of pay he's about to get. You get zero fish, you get zero dollars. And he's frustrated. Perhaps he has a creditor who's calling him up saying, hey... Hey, uh, I need some money. I need you to pay up. Hey, I need, I need this. You need to meet this need. You need, you need to pay me. You need to pay me. Perhaps he's got a wife that's uh, bearing down on him and saying, Hey, hey, uh, uh, if you come in one more time without any fish, there's going to be a problem. I'm getting really frustrated. It's getting hard for me to feed the kids. It's getting hard for me uh, uh, to, to get the things that we need for our family. Peter, would you maybe get another job? Would you consider another way of life? I don't think this fish thing is really working out. Peter's frustrated. That's what I see. Toiled all night, caught nothing. But when he met Jesus, all of those things paled in comparison. Because it is at that moment that Peter forsook all. He left all that wealth, all of that potential money, where the ships were sinking. There was such great wealth there that I believe it probably drew a crowd. Probably people were like, what is happening? This is unbelievable. 
and they leave the ships on the shore with the fish in it, with the nets in it, with all that wealth. And I'm sure there were people, they said, forget this Jesus guy, we're going to the fish. But out of this crowd walks Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they say, the fish aren't worth it. Jesus is worth it. And tonight, what we need is Jesus to bring change in our life. What's holding you back from the change that God desires in your life? Is it time? Is it money? Is it your desires of earthly goods? Is it your family? Is it your pride? The Lord is tugging on your heart right now and saying, Hey, hey, help! Help evangelize the world with the Gospel of Jesus Christ! Be a preacher! Surrender! Be obedient unto Me! If there's somebody within the sound of My voice tonight, God's calling you to be full-time like these men, to follow Jesus and be a proclaimer of the Gospel. Jesus brings... Curiosity. There are people that need to hear. Jesus brings challenges that will grow you and shape you into His image. But Jesus brings change. Real, genuine change. We see in the book of Acts, chapter 4, the end product of these fishermen... Acts chapter 4, verse number 13, And when they had saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. These were but fishermen. They didn't go to college. They weren't the smartest individuals. They were dirty. They were a little unkept. They weren't the most polished speakers in the entire crew. But nonetheless, the people that were around him saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they said, unmistakably, we listen to them. There's been a change in their life. They have been with Jesus. And who tonight is going to forsake the world, forsake all the other cares of life, and say, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to do what He wants me to do. I'm going to follow His path. I'm going to use every resource I possibly can and fellowship with Him and be used by Him in a great and mighty way. I'll close with this illustration. I was in Texas prior to this ministry, and and, uh, we were just outside Fort Hood. Arguably one of the largest military installations in the free world. And we had people coming and going all the time. But there were several men that uh, they would go through the ranks and uh, get in their 40s or 50s. And they would retire and collect their pensions and things like that. And I'll never forget one of the men in our church. Uh, his name was, was Ronnie Kelly. He was a command sergeant major. He was about as sharp as you can get. Tall. Built, his biceps were about the size of my head. I mean, he could just lift pretty much anything by himself. Uh, he, was, he was a tank. You know, you think of G.I. Joe, that was Ronnie Kelly. And he was about in his 50s, and uh, a sharp gentleman, uh, well-decorated in our military. He retired and was a part of the church and was a faithful individual, but... 
there was there was one issue with Ronnie. Ronnie was uh, it was it was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, bold in some areas, but when it came to preaching the gospel, Ronnie was he was shy. I mean, you know, bullets are flying by his head. He's like, yeah. But the minute he's coming to somebody's house, you know, and they, they're waiting for him to share the gospel, he's shaking like a leaf, you know. And, uh, and I'll never forget, he, he came one Saturday to our soul winning event and, uh, and, and just said, I just want to be the silent partner. I just want to stand here and I just want to watch. A little while went by, and we established uh, a, uh, a a soul winning class, much like the soul winning class here. And and uh, I began to watch Ronnie. He said, "I am scared. I'm not confident with this preaching stuff, but nonetheless, God's called me to this church. God's called me to be a Christian. I want to be bold witness for Him." And we had a four week class, and we went through it. And I remember the final week, after we given all this head knowledge, I brought in a door. I put the door there. And I said, we're going to practice. All right? You ready, Ronnie? Okay. All right. All right. And he came up about as bold as he possibly could be, knocked on the door. He went through the gospel, did a great job, still really nervous. Asked a few questions. We had a dialogue here and there and helped coach some other people that were in the class. And, and I'll never forget, Ronnie said, I, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be all in. This is outside my comfort zone. I know military inside and out. Uh, I know public speaking inside and out. But something just gets me. Something just really grips my heart and it just makes me nervous. And I'll never forget, a couple Saturdays later, I'm driving out of the church. And Ronnie runs out the church and jumps in front of my car waving his arms. And, and I say, Ronnie, what's up? And I roll down the window and... And he says, I just got to lead somebody to the Lord. And this built man begins to weep and says, it was the oddest thing. I went, knocked all these doors, and nobody was answering. I had every desire to see somebody saved and do my best to be a witness. As I'm walking down the street, a young man came across our path and I thought, I think this is the one. And I began to talk to him, and Pastor Angel, I remember, I, I was nervous. I was nervous. And with tears down his eyes, he said he was open, he was receptive, and I got to give him the gospel. And he prayed, and he said, Christ is Savior. And I thought, Ronnie, gave goosebumps down my spine. Ronnie, that's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. And it seemed as though everything he had done in the past, all of his military training, all of his uh, sharp uh, physique and everything like that, all pale in comparison because at this point in time, the only thing that mattered to Ronnie was the fact that he was used of the Lord and that God changed him and challenged him and shaped him to be conformed to the image of His Son. And now he's a bold witness for Christ in Texas. Ronnie went on to lead many others to the Lord, and, and, uh, and I haven't heard from him in, in quite some time, but I do know this, that he's still a member of that church, and still just as bold of a witness as he was when he first got trained. And my friend tonight, you and I, 
It doesn't matter about uh, our, our past. It doesn't matter about how much knowledge we have or how much training we have. Don't get me wrong, that's all important. But hey, what really matters is that you've been with Jesus, you're surrendered to Him, and you're going to allow Him to work in your life. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We have somebody tonight, God's calling, somebody God's speaking to, somebody God's challenging and saying, hey, hey, give up the work, give up uh, some of your time, give up some of your your talents, and, and be willing to give those to the Lord. Be willing to preach.